Hello everyone and welcome back to Local Legends with Lark Farley. I'm your host Lark. A little bit about the podcast if you're new. Basically, I share with you all stories that take place in my small hometown Brown County in Indiana. These stories range from true crime to the paranormal and everywhere in between. If you'd like to share your own hometown stories, you can email me at locallegendswithlark at gmail.com and I'll share those with you at the podcast. As always, all of the articles used in today's episode will be linked in the description should you want to check those out for yourself. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back, as I've said, to the podcast. So glad that you're able to make it today. Today's episode, we are going back in time. You know, we love history, as I've said so many times before on this podcast. And one of the more parts of history, at least in terms of looking at Brown County's history in particular, you know, this is what the podcast is about, is what happened and took place in Brown County and the interesting stories. And one of the more um, aspects of history of Brown County's history, is the Great Depression. We've talked about the Great Depression multiple times previously on the podcast. You know, the John Dillinger episode was a good one where we talked about, you know, what was happening during the Great Depression that led to gangsters and John Dillinger's involvement with Brown County. There's also the Moonshine episode that we talked about, what Moonshine was, how the production of that tied into the Great Depression, what was going on, Prohibition era all of that good stuff. And today's episode is along a similar veins. We're going back in time to the Great Depression and looking at what was going on in Brown County. Now, this is a little different. It is involving farming, okay? So if you're not familiar with the Great Depression, to give a very basic summary, you know, the Great Depression was a hard time for America. The banking system and infrastructure basically collapsed. And because of that, it became extremely hard, if not impossible, for a lot of rural communities to be able to make income and money and feed their families because the infrastructure of money in America during the Great Depression, it it basically collapsed. Okay, so money, it was just a mess, okay? to sum it up. And, you know, it was like the Wall Street thing collapsed. It was just, it wasn't fun for anyone. And very quickly, people came to destitution. And one of the ways that these poorer, more rural communities could come together to feed their families and have some form of money to make ends meet was farming. Okay, and Brown County was a farming community. You know, they had produce, you know, tomatoes. You're thinking like uh, corn was is very popular in Indiana, as I'm sure you probably know. Corn is a very big part of Indiana. Indiana is very flat. 
and a perfect climate for corn. Um, there's wheat as well, you know, just like, so farming quickly, at least in Brown County during the Great Depression, became a very easy solution for families in terms of not only being able to feed themselves and fight off starvation during the Great Depression, but also to create a small amount of income for their families. And on top of farming, there is also the aspect of livestock, right? So there are, you know, cows but and horses and goats and sheep and pigs. But those animals, I will say, are more expensive to get, first of all, if you don't already have them. They're also expensive to feed and house. You have to have land. You have to have a barn, right? There's a lot that goes into livestock in particular that you need And there's money that you need to front up in order to have that be a successful aspect of your business, right? So a easy, quick way and solution to have a form of livestock that is feeding your family and giving you money and does not require a lot of money up front or equipment is chickens. And chickens became a very big form of money and food for those rural farming communities in Brown County. And that is where we will start today's episode is about chickens, specifically looking at chicken rustlers. Now we're going to get into it as we always do, break down what are chicken rustlers, how are they relating to chickens, and what was going on. So I just wanted to like preface this by saying that introducing you to Great Depression era, where chickens entered the scene and why, and now we're going to break it all down and get into today's episode. Okay, chicken wrestlers. So beginning from the top, in 1936 during the Great Depression, families were struggling to be able to feed their families like we've talked about and make ends meet. One major way families were able to avoid starvation in Brown County's farm was by farming. Farming was a major source of food and income for families in Brown County during the Great Depression. Raising chickens was a quick way for families to have produce while also being able to sell the eggs for money. Very little money and equipment was needed to start raising chickens, and raising chickens quickly became a popular and profitable source of income for families in Brown County. Brown County, because of this, became known for its chicken farming and production, and many local grocers, butchers, etc. began to rely on the chickens that were being raised in Brown County. Because that was another aspect of this is like you could sell it right to your neighboring communities, neighboring cities, towns, what have you, would come to rely on the eggs and chickens that you were producing. Now, while this was a very successful and profitable business like we've talked about, it is also important to talk about the risks because there were risks involved in this type of business. You know, there could be drought. Or you might not be able to get the feed that you need to feed your chickens and then your chickens die, right? Or there could be uh, cases of foxes or hawks or coyotes or these wild animals that would come in and kill your chickens. So there are risks. It's not like everything's perfect and all your chickens are going to be happy and healthy forever. You know, Indiana, Brown County had foxes, coyotes, hawks, owls, a lot of these natural predators who loved and targeted chickens. So, you know, keep that in mind. And then on top of having the predators that were going after chickens, there are also people who want to kill and steal your chickens, okay? Inner center stage, y'all, chicken rustlers. So chicken rustlers were thieves that targeted chicken farmers. 
they would just come in to the farmer's chicken coop in the cover of night and steal all of the farmer's chickens and eggs. Now, chicken rustlers would then sell the eggs and chickens in Cincinnati, Ohio for cash. And unfortunately, this became a very common occurrence for chicken farmers because people, the thieves, were like, I don't want to buy my own chickens and, you know, deal with all that. Instead, I can just run around rampant doing whatever I want and steal everybody else's chickens and make money. And so it was estimated that over 100,000 chickens were being rustled, aka stolen, in Brown County every year. That's a lot of chickens being stolen, okay? That's a lot. 100,000. Over 100,000. Now, as you might have guessed, farmers were very upset by this and, you know, with their chickens being rustled. That's their business. That's their source of income. That's the way they feed their families. This is ridiculous, right? Like, why are they being stolen? What can we do to stop it? And so the local Brown County Sheriff's Department got involved. However, unless the deputies and sheriff caught the rustlers in the act of stealing the chickens, there was no way to prosecute the chicken rustlers. This was due to once the thieves left the farm, the chickens couldn't be identified as stolen property. Because as unlike, let's say, cows or livestock, chickens are not branded or tattooed for identification. So if you're not aware, cows, for example, we'll use them as an example. Cows are branded by farmers. Either they get a tag in their ear or an actual branding with this code that identifies which farmer the cow belongs to. And this is for a multitude of reasons. It's it's for, you know, being able to catch thieves or if the cow gets out or escapes, you know, and gets found, then people know how to uh, get it back to the farmer because it has a branding there, an identification marker. Chickens do not have that or didn't at this time. So therefore, chicken rustlers come in by cover night, steal all your eggs, steal all your chickens, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because when they go to sell these chickens in Cincinnati, the people that are selling the chickens just assume that the person who's selling them the chickens owns them because there's nothing to prove otherwise. Also, chickens aren't like animals that you know, like a dog, for example, where it like knows you, you know what I'm saying? Where it's like, oh, you're my owner. I love you. And I remember you. That's not how chickens work either. So chickens were the perfect way for thieves to steal them, have no identification, no trace, and they could just kind of get away with it. And unfortunately, that's what happened here. Chicken rustlers were successfully able to steal and resell those chickens. And there's nothing that led uh, like sheriffs back to them. There was no way to trace it back to the person stealing the chickens. This would all change, however, when a woman by the name of Miss Thomas McChesney entered the scene. Now, this lady, she lived a little bit outside of Brown County in a nearby town and raised chickens for extra income and in order to feed her family. Now, her favorite thing to do, other than raising chickens, was to watch Western films. And by watching these films, she got some inspiration and hatched a plan in order to catch the chicken rustlers. Now, she knew that due to her success of her chicken business, that it would only be a matter of time before the chicken rustlers targeted her and her chickens. Sure enough, one morning, she went out to check on her chickens, and over 100 of her chickens were gone. They had been stolen. She called the sheriff. However, there wasn't anything that he could do about it. Because, again, how do you trace the stolen chickens back to the thieves? You can't. 
Now, Miss McChesney had done some snooping and had a list of suspects. She claimed that two young men by the names of Julius Jackson and Clyde Walker were raising chickens a few farms over from her and were spending more money than they were making from the chickens they were raising. The sheriff, deputies, and Miss McChesney all went over to Jackson and Walker's farm but found that no one was home. As they were about to leave, Jackson and Walker pulled into the driveway, and when they were asked by the deputies and sheriff where they had been, the two exclaimed that they had just been to Cincinnati to sell some of their chickens. So the sheriff went to the poultry market in Cincinnati where a buyer recognized Jackson and Walker and said that he had assumed that the chickens were Jackson and Walker since he had no reason to believe otherwise and that he had been buying from them for a long time and had estimated to have bought from Jackson and Walker over a thousand birds, a thousand chickens. So the sheriff asked to see the chickens from the buyer that had been sold by Jackson and Walker to him. Only one was left. So all the other chickens they had brought in had been sold, but but the buyer did have one singular chicken left. Miss McChesney asked if Jackson and Walker could prove that the chicken was theirs. They said, of course not. Uh, No one could prove that. However, Miss McChesney claimed that she could identify the chicken. She then told the sheriff, that on the underside of the chicken's left wing, there would be a red tattoo in the shape of dashes separated by two red dots. The sheriff then checked on the chicken, and sure enough, there was a tattoo there that matched the description perfectly of Miss, the one that Miss McChesney had given. Come to find out, Miss McChesney had branded all of her chickens. She had gotten the inspiration from watching her Western movies. Jackson and Walker were then arrested and held in the Brown County Jail. They would both be found guilty of all charges and sentenced to a few years in prison. Because of this case, chicken farmers around the area began tattooing and branding their chickens, which thus marked the end of chicken rustling. So I thought this was an interesting case and a funny one uh, for several reasons, like interesting to look back on that time period and see, you know, what was going on. But when I saw the the name of this article, Chicken Rustlers, I was instantly intrigued and interested, and I thought it was just really funny. But then also, you know, shout out to Miss McChesney for, you know, being smart and thinking a step ahead and branding her chickens. I mean, it makes sense. Like, I don't see why you couldn't have branded your chickens just like you brand any of the other animals. And nowadays, you probably don't even have to brand them. You can just get them, like, tagged. So I thought that was interesting. Shout out to Miss McChesney. And now, you know, that's why we don't hear about chicken wrestling and why it didn't really last that long. But it for the time period that it was active, it seems like it was a very profitable business. Even though it was illegal, what were the police going to do about it? They didn't do anything because they couldn't. So get away with it while you can, I guess. So anyway, that was today's episode. It's a little shorter one, but a fun one. I thought I'd want to share it with you guys. Um, next week, we're going in another direction. We're going to be talking about a really intense case about, um, this happened a while ago, a while ago. A U.S. census worker um, in Brown County was murdered. It's a really, like I said, intense case. It does involve dogs and, yeah, the taking of a life of a census worker. Um, When the case happened, it was very shocking and very just, like, 
surprising. And it was a case that was covered um, in the Washington Post, the Chicago Tribune, and LA Times. So it kind of reached um, everywhere and became a very heavily publicized covered case just because it's insane. You know, we've covered similar types of cases where in Brown County, where people have this idea in their head that trespassing is allows them the ability to murder other people. And this is a case, sadly, where it's that similar kind of mindset. It's so scary and unfortunate and is still something that happens within Brown County today. You know, um, a few episodes back, we talked about the Amazon delivery driver whose life was threatened by a local in Brown County for this reason and that they these people get in their head that their property is theirs and anyone that trespasses on it can be shot by them, right? Or or murdered. And and that's not the case, okay? We've talked about this multiple times. That is not the case at all. Your property does not allow you the ability or the right to murder another person. Sorry, that's not how it works, okay? It's just really sad and unfortunate. And it's sad and unfortunate that so many years later... It is still happening and allowed to happen. And, you know, yeah, they get taken to court and and sometimes put in prison and then they just get out. (laughs) And then like, what you know, what do we really learn here? Not much. So yeah, PSA to anybody in Brown County, you putting up your no trespassing sign, someone standing on your property does not give you the right to murder someone. Okay. Because that is what it is. It is murdering. You are murdering another person and that's not okay. So we're going to be covering that case um, in the next episode. So check that out if you're interested. In the meantime, as I always say here on the podcast, stay safe, stay hydrated, and I'll see you next time. Bye!